Won't you join me in a word of prayer as we begin this morning? Lord Jesus, we need your word this morning to teach us, to provide for us truth that we desperately need to hear. Lord, we know that we come this morning, many of us, broken, feeling alone, feeling trapped, feeling overwhelmed by life. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would minister directly to us, that you would Use the truth of God's word to penetrate our hearts, to set us free from the lies that we so often believe. Lord, that you would make us different. Thank you that in your presence and in the presence of your people, it's okay to admit that sometimes we're not fine and we we really do need you in our lives. So overwhelm us this morning. Help us to see who you are and who you want to be in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. By a show of hands, I would like to find out this morning how many of you have ever faced in your life a temptation. Show of hands. Anybody not raise their hand? You're, you, now listen, you were just tempted to lie right there. Okay, so. I, now, all right, by, by, by a show of hands again, how many of you, when you encounter, even, even now in, in whatever stage of life you're in, when you encounter temptation, you have a pretty good idea these days where it's going to come from. Anybody, anybody, some of you like that? You know what? I can pretty well tell you that area of my life is going to provide some temptation, whatever it may be. How many of you sometimes are, are surprised by where temptation comes from? Anybody just, wow, boy, I never saw, I never thought that would be an issue that I'd be tempted. Anybody like that? Some of us are a little surprised from time to time. We don't want to admit that, do we? Yeah. yeah I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for that one, you know. The truth is, we, we all face temptation. If you didn't raise your hand earlier, it's because your arm was tired or you, you just don't like doing that kind of thing in church. I don't know, but we all face temptation, every one of us. And not just of, of sexual nature or something like that, but a variety of things. So if we were to go down the row and across the aisle and just every person tell that some of the temptations you face, it would be a variety of, of issues. Lots of different things. The Bible says that temptation is common to mankind. That means that whatever temptation you face, someone else has faced that or is facing it right now. Now, we're led to believe otherwise. We're led to believe we're the only person in the history of the world that's ever dealt with this. Nobody else could possibly have faced this issue. Certainly not Jesus when he lived here. You know, he was perfect. He, he just he wasn't really real anyway. Or so, you know, we think, isn't it? The Bible says that temptation is common, that even Jesus faced temptation, and certainly anything you face that I face is, is standard. Sometimes, though, we, we realize that temptation can feel like it's got us trapped. It feels like, maybe like it comes from a predictable or even sometimes unpredictable source. But we need to recognize temptation for what it is, that it is a very serious thing, that it is a very dangerous thing. In fact, in in James chapter 1, if you want to write down the reference, in James 1, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, writing to, uh, to some Christians that have been scattered around, and, and he writes to them the, the process by which temptation can overcome us. And eventually what he says is temptation and sin, when it's full grown, leads to death and destruction. Temptation has the power, if we give in to it, if we do not overcome it, it has the power to absolutely destroy your life. I think we're all aware of that. You probably know someone who has gone down the path of temptation, has failed to resist it, failed to overcome it, and instead been overcome by it 
and it's destroyed. Certainly in, in my line of work, I'm well aware of the power of temptation in a variety of areas, be that of a sexual nature or money or power or whatever it may be. We've all heard those horror stories of, of pastors and church leaders who have given in to temptation, and it's destroyed not only them, but their families, children, their churches, and, and the reputation of Jesus Christ for many people. And so temptation is a very, very serious thing. And as I was thinking about this particular message and I began to, to study the passage of Scripture we'll look at, it seemed to me that in the life of Joseph that we'll see this morning, that there was, in a sense, a very real conspiracy against him. I don't know if you're a person who likes conspiracy theories or not. I happen to, the one that I, that I love to learn about the most is the one that surrounds the assassination of President John F. Kennedy back in 1963. Now, some of you are uh, you're just your you're JFK assassination conspiracy theory junkies. You know, you every program that comes on the History Channel, you're going to watch it. I enjoy watching those programs because I think it's fascinating. There have been lists and lists and lists of people that were supposedly involved in the assassination. Those who do not believe that Lee Harvey Oswald could have ever acted alone. And, and I, I found a, a list of some people that, that have supposedly been involved. Here it is. The FBI, the CIA the Federal Reserve, Lyndon Johnson, the Bush family, uh, anti-Castro Cuban radicals. Uh, I mean, just the list goes on and on from people who just, you know, it, it could be us. You know, who knows? You know, and, and, and none of the people that were there are still alive. And if they are, they're not talking about it, you know. But isn't it amazing how we, we, we have these conspiracy theories? You know, there are others who, who, who would say that with the 9-11 attacks or Pearl Harbor, that the government was somehow involved to to allow those things to happen so we could be drawn into different... You've probably heard these theories before. And there are others who say the Apollo moon landings weren't real. You know, that was staged in a studio out in California somewhere. And, and, and they kind of bounced around, you know, but it really wasn't real. And then, of course, the, the, the lasting one that, that hopefully will end at some point is the fact that you know, Elvis really isn't dead. You know, I saw, I saw him at, at the Murray Burger King, you know, last week. He was there. I'm telling you, it was him, you know. And, and how there's some conspiracy behind all that and why, of course, he would leave millions of dollars on the table to go into hiding for the last, you know, however many years. But we, we are fascinated, I think, by these conspiracies. And they're interesting. And they have all these angles and what if and so on. But I really, really do believe that when we think about temptation, and particularly the story we'll see this morning, I really believe there is a very real conspiracy to bring you, you and me down. There is a real conspiracy on the part of Satan, to destroy us. I think the Bible makes, makes no secret of that. That's Satan's one goal, the Bible says in, in the book of John, that he's here to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us. He conspires against us. And there's an episode in the life of Joseph that shows this conspiracy, this, this, this combination of factors that comes together to bring us down. It, it shows us how it works and and I really believe it shows us how to overcome it. So you got your Bible handy. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Genesis, very first book in the Bible, 39th chapter. As always, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this one, thankfully, is a very easy one to find. Very first book in the Bible. Go to the 39th chapter. Genesis chapter 39. How can we, looking at this story, understand what temptation is all about, the conspiracy that presents, and and then overcome it. But let, let's, let's look at the story this morning 
as we get going. In verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Now let me pause there for a second catch you up on the story in case you uh, weren't here last week or you, you're unfamiliar with this particular story of the, this guy named Joseph. This is not the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. This is Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, who had been uh, the, the one who the Bible says was given a, a multicolored coat, a coat of many colors by his father and And his brothers hated him because of that. They were jealous of him. So they decided that they were going to kill him. And then they decided against that. Instead of killing him, let's make money on him. So they sold him into slavery. And that's where we pick up the story. He was taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all he owned under his, his authority. From that time, he, that, from the time that he put in char- him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that Joseph that he owned and in his house and on his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants was there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she realized that he had left his garment with her and ran outside, she called to the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to us to make fun of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then, he, then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us to, to, to came, take, came to me rather, excuse me, and to make fun of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, "These are your things the slave did to me." He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Here's a story of Joseph and the temptation that he faced, the conspiracy that was against him, and the results that happened after all of this. I want to look really at, at some of these factors involved in the conspiracy against him that I really believe is present in this particular passage of Scripture, the first of which is simply his situation. Uh, one of the, the elements in this conspiracy against him is just his situation. It says that he had been taken to Egypt. He was sold into slavery. He's successful and so on. Here he is, his situation, picture this, in a foreign country, a foreign land, a different culture, away from all of his family. And back during this time, as as it very well is for many of you today, family was a big deal. Folks did not leave their families back during this time. And so here he is, away from all of his family. We have no idea how long he's been there or the level of adjustment he's had to make, but I can imagine that it was significant. But in the meantime, he's blessed by God. He's very successful. He, he earns favor in the sight of his master, and he rises in authority and trust and responsibility, even as a slave. So he'd worked hard. 
been promoted. He'd been trusted. Here he is in the midst of some foreign religions where no one cared about his faith in the Lord, no one at all. And it says also in verse, verse seven, or 6, rather, he was well-built and handsome. Now I realize, gentlemen, that that describes every single one of us in here. Oh, ladies, play along for just a second. You're laughing. Play along for just a second. Fellas, every one of us, of course, you know, we're just well-built and, and handsome. And you can imagine, you know, there's Joseph and here he is. You know, the Bible describes very few people and what they look like. Very, very few people. And so when it does, it really means this guy, as they say, was ripped. And man, he was good looking. I mean, he's the guy, he's the movie star, good looks, and the bodybuilder. The Bible speaks very seldom of, of anybody and their appearance. So when it does, he really was good looking. He really was well built. And he's a young man, probably somewhere in his mid-20s by this time. We really don't know. But somewhere between 17 and 30, probably 17 to 28, rather. So somewhere in there. So here he is in his physical prime, just like all of us in here, right, fellas, in our physical prime. Absolutely. Ladies, stop laughing. So <clears throat> this situation is where his temptation comes. His temptation came when he really could have gotten away with it. Temptation came by a woman who flattered him. And pursued him over and over, it says. His temptation came after lots of personal pain, lots of unfair circumstances, lots of difficult situations. That's where his temptation comes. You remember the story. He's hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. It's a situation where he could have looked for something to ease the pain of his slavery. Or maybe even to pay himself back for being so good, for, for, for his faithfulness to the Lord in unfair and difficult circumstances. Maybe it would have been easy for him to forget God in this foreign land and just sort of blend in and just become like everybody else. But it's interesting that the narrator of the story lets us know that even though he's in a foreign land, even though he's away from all of his family, he's not alone. What does it say? The Lord was with him. That's his situation. That's where cons that's part of the conspiracy. That's where his temptation came. Also included in this conspiracy, not only the situation, but the persuasion of Mrs. Potiphar. There's persuasion involved. She comes to him in an aggressive manner, in an ongoing, very persistent manner. Day after day, she drops by to make herself available to him. And it's not as if she comes with something that he probably inside didn't want. The natural desire for him to have those tendencies toward a woman. And I'm sure he was very flattered by her advances. He was well-built and handsome, and she's recognizing that. He was very successful. She desired something in him. And so like a bait being dangled before the fish, here she comes day after day after day. We don't really know how long this went on, but it just says day after day. Over and over. Here's the perfect opportunity and situation that no one would know. And besides that, sexual promiscuity during this time and this culture was just part of life. It wasn't frowned upon. It was just part of life. Seems like our world today. So here he is seemingly trapped by this persuasion. She gets him alone. And it says that none of the other household servants were there. You know, you wonder, without reading anything into the Scripture, did she get rid of everybody? 
Did she say, hey, I need you to do this and you to do this and you to do this? Because she knew that Joseph was scheduled to be in the house at a particular time and she wanted him alone. And it happened. Maybe you're like Joseph and sometimes you feel trapped by it. In those moments, that could have led in his life to some rationalization. Well, that really won't hurt anybody anyway. I mean, nobody's going to find out. You know, just... Just this once, I'll give in to this. And, you know, I've kind of earned this. I deserve this anyway. And, you know, in, in our society, it's really not a big deal. Nobody really cares about this. And nobody's going to look at me as if, you know, as if I, I, I was somehow uh, out of control. It's just a natural feeling anyway. And furthermore, giving in to her advances could have advanced his career. I mean, consider the fact she's a very important woman. Who knows what she could have done for him had he given in to her temptation. Or maybe she looked at him and she began to say some things to him about how she needed love and affection and how her husband doesn't treat her the way he should and how much more Joseph could mean to her than her husband and how much better he could meet her needs than Potiphar. But Joseph knew that this persuasion was built on lies. He knew it. He recognized it as part of the conspiracy against him. There was a situation that he faced, the persuasion that he was encountering, and Not only that, but in the midst of all this, there were some emotions that were at play. This conspiracy included his own emotions. Certainly, it felt good to be desired. You ever had that? If you remember back back maybe a few years ago when, when you began to notice the opposite sex and the first person that really noticed you. Oh, man. Wow. I remember in second grade. There was a girl that I just, man, I was, you know how it is in second grade. I just thought she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I may have mentioned this, I think I did a couple of years ago, but it's worth repeating. I I finally got up the nerve to ask her through a little note, you know, do you like me? Check one, yes, no, or maybe. You remember those, you know, my palms are sweating, my heart's racing, it's just... I get it back. And it says yes. Oh, you know, do you know what happened when I got home? I had that note, and I was going to save that forever. Listen, that was that was it was going up on a wall somewhere. My mom washed that and the jeans that I wore to school that day and destroyed that thing. Man, I tell you, I it took me a couple of years to get over that. And but you know the truth is, isn't it nice to be noticed? Isn't there something inside of you that just kind of gets going, when, whether, it, whether it's of a sexual nature or, or not? Just somebody notices and appreciates you. And, and they say nice things. They flatter you in some way. or they, they talk you up just a little bit. Well, it's nice to have those things. And from very early on in life, we have those emotions that are awakened in us. Maybe for you it started in second grade. I don't know. But certainly it's true that we're all human and we have those emotions. You think of Joseph, maybe even the pressure from her every single day could have worn him down. You ever just felt like, good grief, I can't, I just can't resist this anymore. It's overwhelming. Maybe he felt those emotions at times. You know, he certainly had every reason in the book to be bitter and angry toward God about what had happened. He didn't deserve any of the unfair and difficult circumstances he faced. Maybe he he could have wanted some measure of enjoyment in his life. (laughs) Here he is, a guy who's been faithful to the Lord, and all he's done is pay for it over and over. Maybe just for a second, had those emotions well up inside of him. 
Maybe he felt sorry for himself or felt sorry for her. Maybe he got tired of doing what was right. All those emotions could have been there. I mean, who could blame such a pitiful victim anyway? He had no choice, it could have seemed, but to give in to temptation. Maybe that little whisper of, you know what, if it feels that good, certainly it can't be wrong. (laughs) Many a country song has been written about that sort of thing. I happen to be a country music fan, so if you are, then I'm with you, all right? But isn't that the truth, prevailing thing in our society, music and so on? Well, if it feels good, it, it certainly can't be wrong. Maybe he had that thought come in. Certainly his passions were working. He's human. We're not reading about a robot here. Here's a young man in his physical prime. Certainly his emotions were working. His inner feelings were pleading for satisfaction. I can't help it. Maybe maybe he thought, or I only want to be happy, but you know what? He did not let those emotions become his guiding force. Maybe they were there, but he recognized them as unreliable and blind. We face the same emotions that you and I would. But his emotions conspired against him. Not only that, but the results, the potential results conspired against Joseph. He had no idea what was going to happen in verses 13 to 23 or the remainder of the book of Genesis. You realize that? He didn't have what we have. He didn't know the rest of the story. Paul Harvey was not there to tell him the rest of the story. But he had no idea. You realize that temptation in whatever area of life that you face it will will lead you to believe that the results will always be great. They'll always be positive. doesn't matter what you do. This is what you need. We'll either be led to believe a lie, that it'll be great and positive if we give in to that, or we'll fear what will happen if we don't give in. Well, if I don't do this, if you know, my boss is really on me to kind of, you know, fudge just a little bit, or I'm not real sure. Maybe we could stretch the truth here just a tad. And if I don't, you know what's likely to happen? Boy, I'm, I'm going to fall out of favor. I might even lose my job. I might even not get that promotion, whatever it may be in your life. I'll miss out on that pleasure. The results will tempt us to believe lies. It will tempt us to forget what is permanent, the, the impact that it would have on us and on other people. There's this great conspiracy against Joseph, but he overcame it. How exactly did he overcome that incredible conspiracy? I think Joseph in this moment was guided by this particular principle. And make sure if you write nothing else down, that you write this down and you remember it. This particular principle, very simple, probably the greatest advice that I've ever received in my life. And it's evident over and over in the Bible and particularly in this particular story. And it's this. Don't sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate. Don't sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate. If you think about what that means, we are tempted in many ways to give in to this or that. And what it is is a sacrifice of what could be and what might be for what we want right now. And it's a trade-off. And you're killing one to get the other. Joseph recognized that the permanent was more important to him than the immediate. And my encouragement and my challenge to you and to me today is to do the same. Don't sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate. 
Why is that to be true? Well, because your life is an open book. Do you realize that Joseph said, how could I do this and sin against God? He knew God was watching. There is nothing that you or I do that is held secret from God. We can hide it from other people. And we know how to do that. We know how to get away with a lot of things. We do. But we can't hide it from God. Joseph knew his life was an open book. We also refuse to sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate because we recognize that God is in control and that he can be trusted to meet our needs. Joseph had a very real and natural need, but he was going to go about it the way that God wanted to meet that need, not through an illicit affair, but eventually Joseph would be married and then those needs would be met in a very pure and holy and God-ordained way. Interesting, the symmetry of this particular passage that Joseph recognized through all of this, and certainly was the case in verse 2 and verse 21 and verse 23. The beginning and the end of this particular passage, the statement is this, the Lord was with Joseph. In the middle, here's what he faces, this conspiracy. On either end, we find the bookends of truth. The Lord was with him. His life was an open book. He could trust God. And he also recognized that giving in to temptation was going to destroy him in many different ways. And he knew ultimately because he trusted God that God would give him victory. That's why we do that. That's why we refuse to sacrifice the permanent. But how do you do that? This week, you're going to face temptation. If you still have breath in your lungs, regardless of how old or young or in between you may be, you will face temptation in some area of your life. Whether that's an action or an attitude or whatever it may be. How then do you overcome it? How do you resist it? If you go back to this conspiracy and these four elements that conspired against Joseph, you you see that, that, first of all, he refused to be weakened. He refused to be weakened by his situation. Here he is away from home. Nobody would know, but he's not letting that wear him down. What temptation then do you face? Look at your situation. It's conspiring against you. If you're successful right now, that's conspiring against you to make you proud and bring you down. College students, those of you that are away from home, it's conspiring against you to make you do things that you would not normally do if you felt somebody was watching. When you're at the office, when you're away from your family on a trip, those situations conspire against you to bring you down. Joseph refused to be weakened by all that. Not only that, but he refused to be then deceived by the persuasion. He recognized it for what it was, a bunch of lies. No one will know. (laughs) Right. God will know. I'll know. She'll know. He knew all those things. He he recognized the lies that were being thrown at him. Well, it's not that bad, or only once, or you really deserve this, or we really love each other, so it's okay. Persuasion that's coming your way is all about deception and lies. Some great passages of Scripture relating particularly to sexual temptation come in Proverbs chapter 5 through chapter 7. And we get the truth that it leads to death and destruction. The persuasion is a bunch of lies. Joseph didn't believe it. He also didn't play nice with his emotions. Somewhere during this relentless temptation, you know, he could have been guided by his emotions, his natural feelings, and would have been led directly into sin and disaster. So he refused to play nice with them. What emotions are in play when you're tempted? You feel flattered, desired, you feel lovely and wanted, you feel like you deserve something, is your lust awakened, or 
maybe your, your emotions are demanding to be satisfied in whatever area of life. You, do you desire recognition and advancement? And maybe feelings of pleasure, relief, whatever it is. If you want to overcome temptation and be faithful to God, you have to be willing to get rude with your emotions. You have to be willing to speak truth into those emotions. Lead them down the right path. Take them to God. God, here's what I'm facing. I need you to overwhelm my emotions. I don't want to be guided by them. I want to be guided by the truth. Joseph also was not confused or swayed by the immediate results. It's interesting that right after this, he's accused of rape, thrown into prison, and basically forgotten by everybody but God. In that moment, he could have been confused or swayed to think, well, maybe what I did was wrong or I should have given in, but he stayed the course. He knew that God was faithful and could be trusted. And like you, I have many stories just like that in my life. I think back to different times, different points in my life where there was a, a decision to be made on whose results would I trust. And I can tell you that in the moments when I trusted God, He came through every single time. So despite His situation, despite the persuasion, His emotions, His, the possible results, Joseph refused to sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate. But he didn't do it with just willpower and mind over matter kinds of things. He did it in very specific and, and very practical terms. He resisted with his words and he resisted with his actions. Look with me in verse 8. It says, but he refused. Look, he says, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how can I do such a great evil and sin against God? He resists with his words. He called wickedness what it is, sin against God. He didn't rename it. He didn't call it experimentation. He didn't call it a mistake. He didn't call it, well, I'll just see what happens. He said it's sin against God. Our society can rename sin whatever it wants to, but God still calls it sin. God still says it's an offense against him. Joseph spoke about his commitment to the Lord, his commitment to avoid sin. So what's true about the temptation that you might be facing or the one that you'll encounter this week? Whatever is true, speak it. Quote Scripture. Say what God says about that particular temptation, that if I give in to that, that it's wickedness and it's sin against God and it will destroy me and it will destroy my family and it will destroy all those involved and it will sour the name of Jesus Christ for anyone who's watching. The truth is, the more you talk about your relationship with God, the less likely you are to sin against Him. And it gets easier every time you just talk more about your relationship with the Lord. Some of you give in to temptation over and over at work, whatever that may be. Begin to talk about your relationship with the Lord. And I guarantee you this, one of a couple of things will happen. They'll either think you're crazy, and so they'll just think, well, don't bother Him with that kind of stuff. Or they'll begin to say, I don't really want to... Let this person kind of know all that I'm, I'm not going to involve them in that. We'll avoid that temptation with you. It's easier. Joseph refused. He resisted with his words. He also resisted with his actions. In verse 10 through 12, it says that here in this moment when he's trapped, he has no way out but to run. So what does he do? He runs. <laughs> he doesn't stick around. He doesn't try to rationalize and talk with her anymore. 
He just runs. His actions here are what he resisted. He, he declared and decided that his honor and his purity were more important than whatever results might happen because he ran away from her. You realize that the Bible remedy, particularly for sexual uh, temptation, is to run? There's, there's no other remedy. Run. Flee. It says flee sexual immorality. It doesn't say stick around, try to figure out if there's a way. No, no, no. Run. So the questions then would, would come particularly relating to sexual temptation. Is it, is it okay to flirt? Well, can I just look a little bit? The Bible says run. And the more that we look, the more that we flirt, the more we do those things, and I'll speak specifically to those who may be in that situation right now, the more instead of running, we're inching toward it. And it's like two magnets coming together. And eventually, when your heart gets involved and you let your emotions be your guide, it's inevitable. And it will destroy you. And it will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Run, the Bible says. I think that obviously that applies to sexual immorality, but I, I really think we'd be wise to apply that running philosophy in a lot of different areas of temptation. Avoid those people. Avoid those situations. Your reputation, your purity, your integrity, your marriage, your family, in the name of Jesus Christ, are worth far more than any immediate gratification that you can receive. So don't sacrifice the carnal at the altar of the immediate. I hope you see the conspiracy in Joseph's life because you're going to face it this week. Your situation will we'll maybe try to weaken you. There will be persuasion that you feel you can't overcome. Emotions will come up that you, that you want to satisfy. You'll be tempted to believe that the results will be good or that you should fear what they might be. So resist with both your words and your actions and refuse to sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate. But what do you do if you've already given in? What do you do if you're a person here this morning and you say, you know what? I get what you're saying. And that's right. I've already blown it. I've already given in a temptation in this particular area, that area of my life. You know, whatever it may be for you, it's all common, but it's also maybe different for you than it is for me. What do you do when you've messed up? The great, the great news is that you don't have to come to me and have me do something for you that will then somehow miraculously take away anything that you've done wrong. You realize that? I'm here for you, I love you, and I'll help you through anything that I can. You realize the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that your sin of giving in to temptation has already been paid for, has already been forgiven, and it was done on the cross when Jesus died once and for all. And so all we need to do is to repent and receive his grace and forgiveness. Are there a bunch of things you need to go and do and make up for it all? No, because Jesus made up for it all on the cross. So what if you've blown it? What if you've sinned? <laughs> what if you've given in to temptation and it's got you trapped? Repent. Turn around. Receive God's grace move forward. From this point forward, just declare in your words and your actions and by the strength that Jesus Christ will give you through His Holy Spirit, don't sacrifice the permanent any longer at the altar of the immediate. Can you do anything about your past? No. 
Will you maybe still pay for some of the sins of your past? Potentially. But you know what the great news of the grace of God is that He's forgiven you and He'll help you endure the consequences no matter what. So if you've already fallen, turn to Jesus. He's your only hope. He's the one who forgives. He's the one that will turn you back around and give you the strength to not sacrifice the permanent at the altar of removing. He's the only one who's faced temptation and didn't give in. And praise God that he didn't give in so he could die for our sins and set us free, those who believe in him, set us free from sin and to eternal life. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this moment, we we don't want to ignore what you might be saying to our hearts. So, Lord, remind us of the situations that we're facing, the conspiracy that's against us, but, Lord, remind us far more than that of the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. That we don't have to sacrifice the permanent at the altar of the immediate, that we have hope for victory because you are alive. You have forgiven us, and you've given us the grace to endure and to overcome. I pray for those, Lord, who are trapped right now in a cycle of sin and temptation that they feel like there's no escape from. Help them to see how to resist with their words and with their actions. Lord, for all of us who will encounter some sort of temptation this week, may we remember, just like that passage in Genesis, that you are with us. And our lives are an open book. And we can trust you. So we don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice the permanent of the altar of your movement. Remind us of your truth, Lord, this week. We pray in Jesus' name.